Let's open with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for the privilege of standing in this space and in this place. We ask now that you would let your anointing fall and that you would speak what you have to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've been keeping up in the reading, we read the whole book of Matthew this week. So in the Immerse book, we have read the whole book of Matthew. This is no simple feat. So if you did it, congratulations. If you tried, good try. Um, Keep on trying because no matter what, even if you only read a little bit, um, God can use that and he can transform you and he can do a mighty work in your life. So um, I'm going to talk about the pages, the number pages from the Immerse Bible. So if you have one of those and you want to be following along, you can. But I'll also mention um, where it's found in um, a regular Bible as well, so you can follow along there. So Matthew starts on page 313 in the Immerse uh, Bible, and you heard from David that uh, Matthew is likely written by Matthew, the tax collector, the disciple, and uh, I love that it takes all the way till chapter 9 before we hear about his his own call to follow Christ. We read these pages from Matthew's perspective, and so that's important for us to get our head around. And in that passage what, that David just read, he, he's, he's just shifted gears from being a tax collector in his life. And God, Jesus Christ, is saying that he is supposed to have mercy on people instead of saying that it's important to give sacrifice. Now, Jesus there was talking to the Pharisees, but actually, because it's that first calling of Matthew, he was teaching Matthew in the midst of that calling. And because Matthew's the author, he thought it was important to say something about that right there. It's good for us to have Matthew's, Matthew's perspective because he moved from greed to filling a need. Matthew made sure he included phrases in this conversion moment like, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus was teaching Matthew in those moments that monetary things are not what's most important. Matthew's whole life up until that moment was really all about money and greed Tax collectors at this point in history, they would go to the government and they would pay up front. And then they would turn around and they would charge those that actually owed way more than what they had just paid the government. They basically were cheating people left and right all the time in order to gain their own wealth. Now, Matthew, at this point all of a sudden has this huge shift. But the Pharisees are still asking questions. Simply by having dinner with Jesus, having a real encounter with Jesus, Matthew is changed. He loved money. But once he was transformed by Christ, he loved Jesus. 
And Matthew says these things that we hear him say in the book of Matthew because of that. And he wanted us to understand what transformation really looked about, especially when thinking about money. Now, Friday night, Rodney and I went to go see the very important movie, The Grinch. <laughs> it was so cute. It had a new little twist, so we were, we were kind of excited about that. I won't say more to spoil it. But in a blink of an eye, The Grinch was transformed, much like our friend Matthew. In the blink of an eye, he was transformed. Now, it says in The Grinch that his, his heart grew three sizes that day, and my guess is, same with Matthew, And his wallet probably shrunk three sizes that day. An antidote to materialism is mercy and generosity. An antidote to selfishness is giving. The way to fill up is to actually empty out your need for greed. When Jesus came, he flipped everything upside down about money. He gave it all so that we could have it all. The way that we experience fulfillment in life is as we give generously as we have received, as it says in Matthew 10.8. The book of Matthew was written to help his followers meet the challenge of remaining faithful to God. It's not an easy task. And since, and since money was Matthew's biggest issue for conversion, we see multiple, multiple times in this book that he talks about money and actually giving. Now, Pastor Scott, two weeks ago, wanted to name his sermon, I Love Mark, right? No, Luke, I Love Luke. And Pastor Kelly wanted to name hers, I Love Mark. And I would like to name mine, I Love Matthew, Now, I came to love this book just a little while ago when we did the sermon series, Follow the Rabbi. I felt like I climbed into the pages of Scripture as I followed Jesus the summer of 2017. As I was preparing sermons for that summer, I found myself much deeper in the Jewish culture than I ever had before. I was wondering, what would it have been like to literally walk alongside Jesus Every single day for three years in a physical and tangible way. The book of Matthew is speaking directly to the Jewish people, the rule followers. Matthew takes us deeper into the understanding of what it would have been like to think you knew everything about God and his law and to have it all flipped upside down and suddenly be following this man who was fulfilling the law, but changing how it worked. In order to understand Matthew's radical new ideas about giving, we must understand what they did in the Old Testament so that we can hear what the Jewish laws were about giving first. People who followed God would have known all the rules about tithing. So let's start here. Numbers 18.26 says this. Give these instructions to the Levites. These were the people actually working in the tabernacle. 
When you receive from the Lord of Israel the tithes I have assigned as your allotment, give a tenth of the tithes you receive, a tithe of the tithe, to the Lord as a sacred offering. Okay, that's that's a lot. So basically, whatever is tithed to the church, 10% of that needed to go back out. So the way that we do that here is 10% of what we gather in goes to the covenant denomination to help support the whole denomination. So 10% total between Central Conference and the evangelical offices, uh, covenant offices, gets 10%. Now, on top of that, we do missions and missionaries. There's all sorts of other things that we are, are, we are giving money to. But that's our way of making sure that we are doing that requirement of the law. Let's move to individual tithing, because you're like, whatever, the church does whatever, okay? Now I'm talking to you as an individual. Deuteronomy 14, 22 and 23. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of the crops to, of your, all the crops of your harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, ta-da, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes, your grain, new wine, new, olive oil, and firstborn males of your flock and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Okay. Anybody a farmer? Oh, yeah, the farmers are farmers. (laughs) Right. That's good. That's good. But your dad is also a farmer, right, Jody? Yeah, so he farms land. But most of us in this room can't say that we actually have herds and flocks. And so kind of it just means whatever you bring in financially, 10%. 10%. Okay. This passage goes on to say, and I love this part, that if it's too much to bring, you know, all of that, because that could be a lot of grain, it could be a lot of animals that you're trying to get to that location, they say sell them and send the money in a pouch. Modern day translation, if your bags of money are too heavy, you can write a check. If your cash doesn't fit in your wallet, you can do what we do and we tithe online. Okay, so you can, you can do it differently than, you know, bringing in actual cash and putting it in the collection plate. But you can do that as well. Over the years in ministry, I've been asked, should we give on our net or our gross? Has anybody wondered about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah always, we always do. One passage of scripture that I want to look at for us this morning is in the book of Matthew, actually. On page 351 of the Immerse Bible, Matthew 22:17-22 says this. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him the Roman coin, he said, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and what is to God to God. Similar with our coins now. It's usually a person from our our government history on, on the coin and in God we trust. You're thinking that has nothing to do with gross versus net. Think about it this way. 
When we are thinking about the net versus gross question, we are asking a question like the Pharisees were asking. They wanted Jesus to go against the law that had been written so that they could trap Jesus. Following the exact law is not what was important to Jesus. And giving is not about tripping you up. We want you to grow in your faith. Hear what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23 through 24, on page 353. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites? There it is again. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from the herb gardens, but you ignore the most, the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you don't accidentally swallow a net, but you swallow a camel. It's important that we don't get caught up in the little details and the exact numbers that we are bringing forth to Jesus, but we must focus on the justice, the mercy, and the faith, even as we give. If you're already tithing on your net, then maybe you could challenge yourself to tithe on your gross. Celebrate what you are doing. Celebrate how God has moved you and challenged you. And if you're already doing both of those things, great. How's your mercy? How's your justice? How's your faith? If you're not giving at all, what about thinking about what would it be to take one step closer to that 10% tithe? But this is not about a specific number. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ and others. A good way to check yourself is, you could maybe recall what you promised God in your faith promise last time we did our stewardship event. And it just so happened that this week is when we got those things in our mailbox that said, here's how you're doing. You have a real number. So you could look at your faith promise that you made. It's just between you and God. It's not about us checking up on you. It's about you and your relationship with God. How am I doing? How are we doing as a family? You made a commitment to God, and you made a commitment to your church family. It's a great way to check to see how you're doing. Giving's not about keeping this building open. I know that might scare you a little bit. It's about people being spiritually transformed. It's about people growing to be in better and more and deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a heart transformation in this place, and we are teaching you about giving and how that is a part of that, I have no doubt that the money will follow. If we are helping people understand that Jesus wants your heart, 
just like Matthew, our finances will shift and change. When you see your money make a kingdom difference in this place, you will keep up with your giving promise. And you might even give some more. When you engage in mercy and justice in this place, your desire to make sure that those things keep happening will cause you to want to give. I think our justice and mercy connections, like Wyman and Alden and Scott School and Bridge, and even the Benevolence Fund, loaves and fishes are all ways that our hearts can be shifted and changed and transformed and see what the justice and mercy God's talking about. And when we get to be a part of those things, we long to give to those things. Matthew, at both the beginning and the end of his book, he shows people giving extravagantly to Jesus. Now, Matthew is the only gospel writer that actually writes about the Magi giving the gifts. Matthew 2.11, page 315, says this. The kings bowed down and gave their gifts and treasures, gold, incense, and myrrh. These were extravagant gifts. They also had traveled very far to give these gifts. And this the impact of these gifts was not lost on Matthew. Because we've got to remember, Matthew's a tax collector, so he is very attuned to how much things cost in life. Matthew knew how people of little money were oftentimes the one cheated out of large sums of money by the tax collectors. It is likely that Matthew made sure that he talked about these expensive, extravagant gifts to show us how God provided for Mary and Joseph. Think about this for a moment. These three gifts may have been what saved the life of the Christ child as he fled to Egypt. Something to think about. Mary and Joseph didn't have much money, but they needed to get out of Egypt to save their child from King Herod killing them. Matthew shares at the end of Jesus' life a significant story of extravagant giving as well when Jesus is, a, is anointed in Matthew 26, 7 through 12. Page 358 in the Immersed Bible. While he was eating, a woman came with, an alabaster, with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume. He poured it out. She poured it out over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. These two events marked the heart change of both the Magi and the woman. They wanted to express their extravagant gratitude towards Christ, and these gifts met very real needs along the way. God can provide a way to pay for things through people giving extravagantly out of the depths of the thanksgiving for Jesus' life. Jesus was able to have a proper burial 
through this woman, in the, as Matthew tells it. He continues to write, but Jesus is aware of this. He replied, why citizens, this woman, for doing such a good thing to me, sorry, but Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. Burial was very important in the Jewish culture. This was a big deal that he was able to be anointed with oil. This woman decided to give up her own way. This was her most valuable thing that she owned. Prior to this, this woman meeting Jesus, she was like Matthew and largely known for her sin. Her extravagant gift was given because she was thankful for all that God had done in her life, all that Christ had done in her life. She started to follow Jesus with all that she had. She was living out what Jesus was asking all of us to do in the book of Matthew. Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 24 through 26 on page 341. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what you do and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? If anything worth more than your is anything worth more than your soul? It's the only thing we take with us into eternity. This woman was doing this. She was living this out. And Matthew, the author of this book, could relate to her because he had done a very similar thing with his own life. So my question for us today is, what are you still hanging on to? Giving is not easy. Giving is really hard to get started. And we can see this story from the rich young man in the book of Matthew 19, verses 21 through 24, on page 346. Jesus told them, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What must I do to have eternal life? The rich man asked. In order to follow Jesus fully, the answer was to sell it all and follow me. Another question I have for us today is what are we holding back? What are we not letting go of in order to fully follow Christ? 
For some of them, for some of us, it might be a whole lot of extra money that we have, and we haven't given it. But for others, there's not much money to be had at all. And both sides of, of these ends, and even in the middle, we need to still ask ourselves these questions. Because Jesus t- talks about something else as we head into Matthew 25, page 357 in Immerse. The parable of the three servants. There are three servants. The first one gets five bags of silver, and the second one gets two. These first two invest their money. The last servant only gets one bag, and that servant decides to bury it. When the master returned, he said to the first two, Well done, my good and faithful servants. You have been faithful in handling a small amount, because they were able to double what they had been given. And now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gather crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. I hope to never be called this. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some some interest on it. Then he ordered, take this money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. Think about this for a moment in your own life. To those who will who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Jesus expects us to be good stewards, no matter what the amount of money that we have, that we have been entrusted with. Whether it's right here in this church, or it's as individuals. Jesus calls us to be wise stewards, not wasteful which is what both the Magi and the woman who anointed Jesus did. Others may have seen it as wasteful or over the top, but in reality, these people were putting money into the things that they knew would grow the kingdom of God. And we are called to do the same. Our money should be used extravagantly towards what Christ wants. And it is a response because of his love for us. The theme of the stewardship campaign this year is giving thanks for his giving. The reason we give our money to church is to not somehow win over God. He has already done so much. And the reason we give is we are giving thanks for what he has done in our lives. We can see from the book of Matthew that giving is far more about the state of the heart than based on the rules. So these are Matthew's rules that he has. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, page 320. 
So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled. Then come and offer your sacrifice with God. He cares more about relationship with one another than about the sacrifice. Matthew 6, 2 through 4, page 322. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Tell the truth. They have received their reward, all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Matthew 6.19, page 322. Don't store your treasures up on earth where moths eat, eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and, ru- moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will be also. Matthew's last rule, do not worry. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen to that? (laughs) Fear holds us back from giving with wild abandon. Fear dictates a lot about how we use and view our money. What if I run out? Well, what if I flip that question up on its head and say, what if someone else runs out of money. And you were supposed to be the one that was supposed to give so that they may live. Just like in the story of Christ. God longs for us to be in good, healthy relationship with him and others. He wants our giving to be an outpouring of the experience of that depths of our soul being connected to him and experiencing his love. Jesus has a very different way of dealing with money than we do. I call it God's economy. He actually seeks after a level playing field, which totally flies in the face of all of us, right? In another parable that Matthew talks about money Jesus talks about paying the workers that started at the beginning of the day the same amount that he pays the workers at the end of the day, which we all would hate if we were the first, right? But we would love it if we were the last. In Matthew 20 on page 346, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven here so that we can see how we are as believers will receive the same reward in eternity. I get 
the same thing as someone who accepts Christ the day before they die, the day of they die, the day of that they die, whatever. You get me. Thief on the cross, someone who's followed it all their life, same reward. Eternal life, life with Christ. But we can also see this as a way of seeking justice in the world right now here on this earth. One of the ways that I do this in the youth ministry, in the children's ministry here at NECC, is that no matter how much money you have, you get to join us in the fundraisers. And we all get the same reward. Right? We all do the fundraisers together. We all get the week of camp, the chick experience, the mission trip. Just because you can write the check doesn't mean you automatically go and leave everybody else in the dust. We do it together so that we all have that kingdom experience. And talk about needing to level the playing field before you go on a mission trip. Very important. When you go on a mission trip, people are watching. If some people are more highly touted on a mission trip, the people watching notice. It's good for us to practice justice here on earth because boy, oh boy, when we get to heaven, guess what? We all have the same amount of money. None. (laughs) Level playing field. Level playing field. We might think that we have all the answers about how money works here on earth. I don't. But some people might just like the Pharisees did in Christ's day. But God's economy works differently. So today, as you think about what God is calling you to give, I want you to think like Christ is asking us to think about mercy and justice and your faith walk. You might have a different idea about what you're supposed to give from when you came in as to when you go out. Just like the people Matthew was addressing in the scriptures, we have to learn a lot more about how Jesus would ask us to give. Because Jesus says, we are to give as freely as we have received. Let's pray. Lord God, you gave it all. You came and you died so that we could have it all, so that we could have eternal life and that we could walk with you here on earth, but also that we would have that eternal life that you promise us. We ask God today that we would not be choking on a gnat, thinking about an exact number, but that we would think about how you have transformed us and how we might give extravagantly to what you've called us to. In your holy name we pray.